now it's time for ketchup kitchen catch-ups. Hello and welcome to a brand new, a brand spanking new, a red leather, yellow leather book version of Ketchup Kitchen Ketchups. Man, maybe they should use Ketchup Kitchen Ketchups uh, instead of red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather for, you know, practicing stuff. Because, uh, I don't know, there's other ones too, right? Uh, she sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. Uh, hi, everybody. You're probably wondering why I'm doing all this. Um, and it's because I don't have a guest today. Um, it's kind of important. I keep saying um. I need to stop saying um. Someday I'll be a, a decent person to talk to. And you guys will all uh, resubscribe. But for now, go ahead and unsubscribe. Um, no, I've got, uh, I have a fun little thing I wanted to do today. Um, I had mentioned a couple times that I've purchased a book called Pure Ketchup, and it is a fantastic book. I've, I haven't read the whole thing, but I've been flipping through a lot of it, and I've been reading passages and learning a lot about what a particular author has learned about ketchup, and it's got tons of sources. It is a very good reference book, and it also has a bazillion recipes in the back. I know I've mentioned that a couple times. I don't know. Let's just do a little... Let's do a little catch town, huh? What do you say? We just get into this. We, I'll, I'll read to you a little bit about the origin of, the, of ketchup from this book, and uh, it'll be fun. So why, why waste any more time? Why don't we just get into it? And before any of you call in and complain that I'm not eating ketchup while reading this book, I know some of you think this podcast is a joke. And so you would be fine with me just slurping down some ketchup while I'm trying to do a good job and dictate while I read without a mouthful of fries and ketchup. And you know what? Maybe, you know, fuck it. If enough of you call in complaining about that, then maybe, maybe I'll, the next, the next, ep, you know, segment of Catch Town, I will go ahead and, you know, just get real sloppy with it. But I'm going to try, I'm going to try to maybe have this sound like something you could actually listen to for for once. Um, but yeah, if you have complaints about this one, call the squirt line, 4197-SQUIRT, and let me know. And we'll see what adjustments need to be made. But for now, let me get bring you into the world of ketchup and the early, early times. Now, what I should do uh, legally was probably write my own stuff down and cite my sources. But this guy wrote, did such a good job. I'm just, I'm going to definitely obviously give him credit here. Andrew F. Smith. He wrote the book, Pure Ketchup, A History of America's National Condiment. And this has, like I said, all these recipes in it. And it's got a lot of really great, he's, he's a very good writer. I, I, I don't think I'll do it justice by how I'm about to read it, but I'm going to try very hard to pronounce the words that are mentioned in here correctly on the first try. And if I don't, please forgive me. And hopefully my cat will not be a pain in the ass for this. So please join me as we enter Catch Town.
The entomological origin of the word ketchup is a matter of confusion. For almost two centuries, speculation has raged regarding the origin of the word and what it signifies. A synonymous British author, Lancelot Sturgeon, maintained that the legendary Frenchman Vital was its real inventor in the late 17th century. Unfortunately, Sturgeon cited no support for his statement. Vital did not publish a cookbook, and no others have connected him with ketchup, nor does the term appear in early French cookery books. French food books hold the British accountable for ketchup, in fact, which they identify as a condiment of English origin, widely used in both England and the USA. The eminent writer on food and cookery, Elizabeth David, suggests in her salt, spice, and aromatics in the English kitchen that the word derived from ceviche, a form of spiced vinegar pickle in which cooked fish was preserved. She announced that the word in different forms manifested itself throughout European cookery and even turned up in Mexico and Japan. Citing David as his source, American anthropologist E. N. Anderson believed that ketchup was cognate with the French ceviche, meaning food and sauce. Similarly, others have speculated that ketchup was related to the Spanish and Portuguese words ceviche or ceviche, meaning a marinade or sauce for pickling. As the American culinary historian Karen Hess reports, ceviche, derived from the Arabic word iskebe, and specifically referring to pickling with vinegar. The term was anglicanized in ceviche, and it appears in print almost simultaneously with ketchup in English cookery books. Still, others have claimed that the word ketchup originated in East Asia. In 1877, Ennis Dallas speculated that the true Japanese word was ketchup, which was subsequently concurred. However, if anything is clear in this entomological confusion, it is that the word ketchup is not in Japanese origin. Concurring in this opinion, the editors of the Oxford English Dictionary suggested that Japanese, cited by many as possibly an error for Javanese, these speculations, this speculation was based on the presumption that some observers believed that ketchup derived from the Malay language. A.W. Bitting reported in 1909 that the word ketchup was, the, was of East Indian or Malayan origin. Culinary historian David Dave Jesus. Culinary historian Alan Davidson and cookbook author Sri Owen, for instance, believe that the term specifically derived from the Indonesian word kekap. Owen presumed that retired British colonial servants brought the word back home from them with home with them from Malaya. However, Ketchup was entrenched in British and well before the Britain possessed a colony in Malaya. Oh, let me read that one again. However, ketchup was entrenched in Britain well before the British possessed a colony in Malaya. Despite these attributions to the Malayan origins of the word ketchup, entomologists have pointed out that the unlikelihood of it originated in the Malay language. Indeed, Malay dictionaries claim that ketchup is of Chinese origin. Columnist and food writer Craig Claiborne reported in his New York Times Food Encyclopedia that ketchup originated in China. Around Canton, reporters Clay, reports Claiborne, it was called Than Kichop, 
which translates as tomato juice. Unfortunately for Claiborne's theory, though repeated by others, it fails to hold up. As E.N. Anderson points out, tomato sauce is a recent addition to Chinese cuisine, and none of the early ketchup recipes had anything to do with the tomato. The editors of the Oxford English Dictionary, citing Douglas's Chinese Dictionary, presented a different Chinese origins theory, reporting that ketchup really derived from Kitsap? Sorry, I, all these words are going to just be butchered. <laughs> a word from the Amoy dialect of Chinese meaning, the brine of pickled fish. However, entomologist Therrien de la Capoue-Pierre concluded that, while the word may have been used in the Chinese language, it had not originated in mainland China. He speculated that the word perhaps originated in the Chinese community in northern Vietnam, or what was then called Tonkin. He further believed that the British first came into contact with it in what is today Indonesia. We all holding in here? So basically it's kind of brought in it did briefly, just real briefly there, mentioned that the original ketchups had nothing to do with tomato, like we know today, which is, we've discussed over and over again on this podcast, that while we all, this podcast and everyone else, tend to only think of ketchup as tomato ketchup, it it sounds like a lot of these other original origins had something to do with pickling and were a fish or something like that. So, um, yeah, so I'm sorry about all the words and the confusion, but I'm not gonna edit this shit out. You guys know that. So, let's uh, let's move on. Let's let's find out a little bit more about some ketchup. Oh, this is gonna be an interesting one because this this next section describes the various spellings of ketchup. So I'm gonna have to specify throughout. And so, uh, yeah, this will get annoying. Perhaps due to this entomological imbroglio, if that's how you say that word, ketchup is among the few commonly eaten products with no agreed upon spelling. Ketchup with a K, ketchup with a C, or catsup continue to be used today, but other similar spellings have been employed over the years. As the domestic chemist pointed out in 1831, these words indicate a sauce of which the name can be pronounced by everybody, but spelled by nobody. It's a fun little, little quip there. Over the past two centuries, food commentators have presented cases for particular correct spellings of the word. Lancelot Sturgeon believed that catsup was the proper spelling, but he humorously protested against it, wondering why a sup for an epicure should be termed a sup for a cat. Sturgeon postulated that catch up, meaning to snap up or to swallow eagerly, was more consistent with the orthopy and probable derivation. William Kitchener, a British physician and prominent cookbook writer, concurred that the correct spelling was catsup and called a highly concentrated version of it double catsup or dogsup. So we got some real funny people involved with with ketchup apparently. Some real uh, real humorists. In America, Isaac Riley, editor of the 1818 edition of the Universal Recipe Book, believed that ketchup, with a K, was the correct spelling. According to Riley, ketchup, with a C, was a vulgarization, 
and cats up, the C-A-T-S-U-up, uh, was simply an affectation. In the 20th century American chemist and physician Arvel W. Bitting, husband of the chemist and culinary bibliographer Catherine Golden Bitting, also believed that the correct spelling was ketchup with a K. According to Bitting, ketchup with a C was based on the erroneous idea that ketch was a colloquial form of catch. Bitting maintained that there was no warrant for the catsup spelling, although he admitted that catsup was the term used by the majority of manufacturers. Until a few decades ago, catsup was the preferred spelling in many dictionaries. Today, ketchup, with a K, clearly is in the ascendancy and is the clear choice of lexicographers and manufacturers. So that make, that brings me to a question. I I was under the impression that ketchup with a K was uh, was much like Kleenex, and maybe it is. Uh, maybe this book gets to that uh, and is starting out more mysterious. But um, I forget my source. It might have been in the Heinz book I have. But maybe maybe Heinz just happened to copyright it or something. You know, I don't know. What do we got here? What what? All right, we got another section here. This is this is gonna get this is gonna get real, like uh, real back on some historical speculations here. This is really interesting, and let's see if I can say half of these words right without throwing up on myself. I'm not gonna throw up on myself. Whatever the origin or the spelling of the word ketchup. Early British recipes produced products comparable to those developed in many different cultures separated by wide geographical distances. For thousands of years, humankind has attempted to preserve foods with salt, which retards the growth of harmful bacteria. Probably human bacteria as well, but harmful bacteria. In a commonly used process called brining, food products were immersed in a solution of salt and water. Under the right conditions, the brine encourages the growth and predominance of several species of bacteria that produce lactic acid, which kills harmful bacteria and lowers the pH. This changes the environment to one more stable for yeast growth, thus promoting fermentation. These changes also contribute to the flavor of the food product. That's basically just pickling going on here, right? Or maybe pickling is a time. No, pickling is brining. I don't. Shit, I don't know. Why am I? Why am I jumping in to give bad commentary on what I just read? Just let the words speak for. Let the professional speak for himself. All right. Several writers have theorized that the early ketchups were akin to a relative of garum, a popular fermented fish sauce consumed in ancient Greece and Rome. As the builders of ancient civilizations lacked effective means of refrigeration they could not easily transport large quantities of fresh fish and meats long distances. The Romans solved this problem by erecting salting installations whose principal yield was salsamentum, animal products, particularly fish, preserved by various methods of salting. As manufacturers did not waste any part of the fish, the tail, fin, neck, head, viscera, and any other parts normally considered refuse were converted into fish sauces. The Romans lavishly applied fish sauces to enhance flavors and to disguise the odors and tastes of foods that quickly spoiled in the warm Mediterranean climate. Apicius Artis Magicare Libre X was the only cookery manuscript written in Roman times that survived. 
That's a famous book. I think I've heard about that book, and I've just certainly butchered it. So if, if Sarah Brunkhorst, friend of the show, is listening, I'm sure she's gonna she can tell me all about the wrong words I said in this part of this book. Feel free to call in and bitch at me. I'll do anything to generate squirt line calls. <laughs> all right, anyway, sorry. Let's try this. Let's try this book title again. Apicius's Artis Maginericae Libre, the tenth was the only cookery manuscript written in Roman times that survived. Apicius was a 1st century AD epicure who wrote a general cookery manuscript and one devoted to sauces. In his manuscript, he employed fish sauces on many dishes. Garum, probably a clear liquid, was the primary product. Alec, the sediment created by making garum, was a mushy, paste-like substance containing fish bones and other undissolved fish material. Diverse descriptions for fixing fish sauces have survived in several ancient manuscripts. The most complete depictions appeared in the Geoponica, a 10th century AD Greek agricultural manual, which recounted two methods for devising garum. Both were made with salted fish intestines, gills, and blood. The first placed these ingredients in an earthenware vessel, shook it frequently, and fermented it in the sun for two or three months. Alternately, the quick method for those who did not want to wait boiled down the mixture and potted the result. Sometimes old wine was added as a preservative and flavor enhancer. The process of pickling immersed fruits, vegetables, fungi, and other foods in a diluted solution of vinegar. Vinegar is an acidic solution to fermented wine, apple cider, or other alcoholic substances. This is getting real scientific. The acid... The, the acidic acid... Acetic acid in the vinegar, like actic, lack, oh, Jesus Christ. These are words I know, but it, we're getting long here, guys. I don't read out loud all that often. Okay. Uh, where are we here? The acetic acid in the vinegar, like lactic acid in the brining solution, destroyed unwanted bacteria. The process was often augmented by the addition of salt. The right combination of vinegar and salt controlled harmful bacteria, infused particular flavors, and per permitted fermentation. During the late Middle Ages, many foods were pickled. However, usually the pickled foods, whole or in chunks, page turn, was the end product of the process. The brine and pickle juice was a byproduct and was usually, but not always, discarded. So kind of like how we get pickles and then we just leave the pickle juice. Though, I may recommend to you, if you've got some pickle juice and you're going to saute some onions, specifically for maybe on a hot dog, or you just want a nice pickly onion, saute them with some pickle juice. It's fantastic. I recommend it. Or maybe just chop some onions up and put them in a pickle jar. That's probably pretty good, too. Anyway, back to the, back to the actual professionals and not just my weird drunk cooking methods. Sauces were employed in Europe at least from the early Greek times and were commonly used during the late Middle Ages and early Renaissance. Some were thick and highly spiced. Made sauces, in quotes, were essentially flavored vinegary mixtures. The use of sauces blossomed in Britain before and during the Elizabethan period. Some were simple constru constructions, others were complex, rich, and strange. Sauces were often made separately and served in saucers, hence their name. Yeah, that's where a saucer comes from. So that's a yeah, like we put a teacup on there, right? It's a saucer? I don't know. I'm, I keep interrupting. I'm sorry. 
Most sauces relied upon the mortar and pestle for their manufacture. The liquid base was more often vinegar, but ale, wine, and milk were occasionally used. In general, particular sauces were associated with specific dishes. Robert May, author of The Accomplished Cook in 1685, had 13 categories of sauces, each of which were associated with a particular meat, fowl, or fish. Under each category, he recorded multiple recipes. Hence, under sauces for mutton, may list 12 recipes. According to the British culinary historian C. Ann Wilson, the 17th century saw the proliferation of thinner sauces comprising gravy, wine, verjuice, verjuice, oh yeah, wait, verjuice? Whatever. Or orange or lemon juice, or some combination of those liquids with caper, herbs, dried or garden fruits and vegetables, and spices. During the late 17th and early 18th centuries, the number of sauces listed in cookery books declined. Fresh uncooked sauces became comparatively rare and were replaced by pickles, which were eaten with cold meats. Vegetables, herbs, mushrooms, walnuts, and flowers were pickled. The pickle of mushrooms made a poignant seasoning since it contained such spices as cloves, mace, ginger, nutmegs, and pepper, and furthermore, the juice from the mushrooms algamated itself with the vinegar or brine, giving it a rich, dark color. In due course, the pickling liqueur came to be regarded as a condiment on its own right, and in some recipes, the mushrooms were actually removed from the sauce before bottling. Pickling, of course, was not a unique European creation. Salting and fermenting was commonly employed throughout the ancient world. In Southeast Asia, for instance, fermented fish sausage, such as Nam Pla in Thailand, Nuk Mam in Vietnam, Turk Trey in Cambodia, Nigan Pai Yai in Burma, and Nam Pak in Laos, <laughs> were and continue to be very popular. There was, and is, no single way to make these acclaimed sauces, and they vary from thin liquids to thick pastes with chunks of fermented fish and fish products. Soybeans, another product frequently fermented in a variety of ways, was mentioned by the Chinese botanist Shen Nan and it, in his Materia Medica as early as 2838 BC. Soybeans were domesticated in China, and their cookery spread quickly throughout East and Southeast Asia. Soy sauce productions is also believed to have started in China, and only later did Japan become a major producer. Europeans encountered soy sauces during their voyage of discovery and conquest in the 16th and 17th centuries. British sailors, traders, and colonial administrators were introduced to soy sauce late in the 17th century. Perhaps because soy was similar to the fish sauces they knew, they were favorably impressed with it. John Ovington, during the late 17th century, judged it the choicest of all sauces. Swashbuckling buccaneer William Dampier, while circumnavigating the world in the late 1680s, reported that soy sauce tasted as if it were made from a fishy composition, but he was informed that it was made only with wheat and a sort of bean mixed with water and salt. If Dampier had confused it with the contents of his sauce, this was understandable. Many factors influenced the flavor and consistency of pickled foods. In, if fish was the pickled product, the length of time elapsing between catch and initiation of the processing strongly influenced the taste and keeping quality f since fish tissue deteriorated rapidly following death. If vegetable matter was pickled, the acidic content and other added ingredients were important. 
the purity and quality of salt and salinity of the brine, the length of time given to salting, and the temperature of the pickled mass were all factors that influenced the growth of bacterial populations, potentially producing off flavors and putrefaction. Putrefaction, that's a good word. The use of additives such as sugar sped up the process. Incul inculcated a particular taste or created a particular appearance. Due to these factors, fermented foods had great variations. From this culinary crucible of salted, pickled, and fermented foods from ancient Europe and exotic Southeast Asia, British ketchup materialized during the late 18th century. Okay, that's all I'm going to make you guys listen to now. Thank you for hanging in. If you didn't hang in, you're not hearing this, so I guess it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, but that's kind of like a rundown of, I guess, some of the history of sauces, at least, since, since ketchup really doesn't have, as far as I know yet, and I'm going to read more about this in this book here, but there doesn't seem to be a real definition. It's not just tomatoes. It's not just mushrooms or walnuts. It's there's a variety of different things. It's, it's kind of almost just like a table sauce. But certainly, there's got to be something that sets it apart from mustard. Mustard isn't a ketchup, is it? What if mustard's a ketchup? I don't know. There's got to be a reason that's not what it is. I don't know. I'm going to speculate right now that ketchup seems to be made with an item that's being preserved, like with tomato ketchup, a tomato, right? Mustard, on the other hand, is just made with mustard seed and other spices. So I feel like that's not actually preserving anything. It's just a vinegary mustard seed. So that possibly just a real uneducated guess, maybe why mustard wouldn't be classified as ketchup, but many other ketchup has such a diverse thing. Um, yeah, well, thank you for listening, as always. Um, if you're not following us on the Facebook, there's you know there's been some good discussions going on, so get on Facebook. We're, you know, we're Ketchup Kitchen Catch-Ups. Uh, oh, I wanted to point out also that the spellings in this were mentioned. Ketchup, K-E-T-C-H-U-P, um, is a way to spell it. And Catsup, C-A-T-S-U-P, uh, we all know. Um, but as my... As the podcast is titled, Ketchup, Kitchen, Catch-Ups, and Catch-Up, if you were to catch up between people, is normally more than one word, um, or at least hyphenated. But the fun wordplay that is involved here is that Catch-Up, C-A-T-C-H-U-P, is also a spelling for ketchup, the, the condiment. So it's, it's so for those who may have been annoyed by the, how it's spelled, it's technically a, a different thing. I don't think we've actually touched on that. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I'm going to stop rambling. You've listened to this far and long enough. Um, thank you. Uh, let's underscore cats up on Twitter. Give us a follow, you know, keep stuff updated on there. Post about some cool ketchup news and stuff like that. If you see any cool ketchup news, post it on the Facebook page or tweet at it, tweet at me, you know, and always rate and review in iTunes, please. Uh, it's, it's very helpful. And you know what? call a squirt line if you hated this or if this brought up questions for discussion call and if you're sarah brunkhorst and you are mad about how i pronounce some of the words in there those roman words call in 4197 squirt that's 4197 squirt that's the squirt line all right thanks everyone for listening i love you have a great week 
I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.